Support for all the books comes from Talenti. When Talenti makes gelato and sorbetto, they tend to get a little overzealous. Did they need to use so many raspberries in their Roman raspberry sorbetto that the machine broke? Did they need to try 25 different chai teas to find the perfect spice blend for their vanilla chai gelato? Did they have to invent giant mint steepers to make their Mediterranean mint super minty? Does their obsessiveness make Talenti gelato and sorbetto the greatest? You be the judge. But yes, it does make them the greatest. They're also the judge. Talenti, the delicious, is in the details. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 113, and today we are talking about books released on June 27th and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow podcast, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello, hello. Hi. How's it going? It's good. I can't believe that it's almost July. I was making my notes this morning. Like My first book is one that came out last week that I didn't get to talk about since we did our uh, best books of the year so far last week. And I was like, man, next week is the 4th of July. (laughs) Like I'm going to be looking at July books for next week. I'm just, I can't believe that we're this far into the year and that there have been so many good books already. It's hard to keep track of of like what's out and what's not when you work in new releases already, mm-hmm. but now doing like the the Book Riot Insider's new release index where I add titles to the calendar, like I'm so confused all the time. I know. I'm like, did that already come out? Is that coming out? When is that? I've been doing my uh, going through the calendar for September and October because we can tease that we're going to do a fall preview, I think on the August 8th episode. So I'm starting to look and it's that feeling of like... There are just so many things coming out. How am I ever going to be able to read them all? The answer is that I'm not going to. But I feel like a kid that just got let loose in a candy store who's like, oh, yeah. how can I possibly get all these Jolly Ranchers into my face at the same time? Yeah. Um, I'm going to try. We're going to give it a good shot. So you and I were little secret ginger squirrels and figured out the Oprah pick. Yes, we did. We put on our detective hat and really I I don't think it was that tough of a hey one now, to figure out. Awesome. We are awesome though. Uh, but yeah, she <laughs> selected uh Behold Behold the Dreamers by Mbolo Mbue, which we both loved and is out in paperback this week. So big shout outs to a great book. If you have not read it yet, this is a good time. Go pick it up. It's great for a book club. It's a good it's a good novel you can just sink right into. Yeah. Good stuff. Do we have anything right. else to talk about? I don't, I don't think we have any news. You had the first How episode about? of <gasps> All the Backlist last week. I did. That was so much fun. It was, and it's so weird talking to yourself. Like, it must be what <laughs> radio DJs do. Like, there's no one answering me, so I'm just talking and talking, and you just have to kind of get used to the fact that there's not going to be a response. Kind of like talking to my cats. Like, no one's going to say anything back, but just keep going. <laughs> Yeah, I've done a couple things where like I had to re-record a segment by myself for the Book Riot show with Jeff. And it's strange. (laughs) It's just a a thing to get used to. But you did a great job. And there were so many good book picks. And I know that our our little ATBs are happy. Um, So should we should we get on to the books? Yes. I love this first book. It's so great. My first pick is called The Windfall 
by Diksha Basu, and it's a delightful comedy of manners and class. It's just, it's so delightful. I decided I would try to start with something, like, fun and uplifting today, because usually everything I pick is grim and murdery, and this is not. This is the opposite. It's so much fun. It's about the Jha family, who live in India. They have spent the last 30 years living in the same apartment building with most of the same nosy neighbors. They know everything about their neighbors, and no, there are no secrets in the building. Life has just kind of always been the same. And then one day, Mr. Ja, who works um, in computers, he sells a website. Like, he sells a website domain for $20 million Ooh. to an American company. And suddenly, he's very, he and his family are very, very rich. It's him and his wife and their son, who is uh, off at college in America. And so, it, the neighbors are like, oh, big windfall, you know, like all super jealous. And suddenly, they're all really interested in having their daughters, you know, meet the Jaw's son. And they, Mr. Jaw is so excited, he decides he wants to move out of the building. And so, he buys this big mansion um, and moves and wants to move the family from East Delhi to this rich neighborhood, you know, outside. And what he learns, though, is that even moving into this rich neighborhood, it's still a struggle. He's still very competitive with his neighbors, except now it's like whose couch has more crystals and who has, you know, more Mercedes and whose guard at the gate, you know, has a bigger gun and just like crazy stuff like that. Meanwhile, their son is off at college in America, like I said, and he has an American girlfriend. She really wants him to tell his parents about her because they've been together for a long time. And he says that he's going to when he visits for the summer, but he doesn't. And he goes back and he's like hiding the fact that he didn't tell his parents about her. Um, and, and to make matters more complicated, he meets a girl from his town who is going to a nearby school and kind of digs her, too, and he's he's torn. He's like, you know, he really loves his American girlfriend because she's different and everything about America that he's grown up knowing and loving, but now he also feels very comforted with this girl from India, so he doesn't know what to do. And then there's also the Jha's neighbor, who is a young widow. She Her husband died when she was young, and she wants to live her life. She wants to do yoga and wear yoga pants and you know, go out and drink whiskey in public and do all these fun things, but there are these expectations of widows. She's supposed to, you know, stay in the house and mourn all the time still and, and wear a certain dress, and she's having a really hard time dealing with that. It's just, it's just really sweet, a fun book about, you know, social status and the need to fit in. It's so utterly charming. I just adored it. Again, it's called The Windfall by Diksha Basu. I've had my eye on that one. I'm glad to hear it's great. It's so cute. My first pick this week is, like I said, came out last week and I just could not let the opportunity to talk about it pass because it's one of the best books that I've read this year. It is Too Fat, Too Slutty, Too Loud, The Reign of the Unruly Woman by Anne Helen Peterson. Uh, she is a writer and editor for BuzzFeed and a great uh, feminist writer and a sort of cultural analyst. And this book pull, pulls together, uh, looks at 10 different women in contemporary culture who are one of these things. Um, each chapter is about a different two. Uh, the first one is Too Strong, Serena Williams. Then there's Too Fat, Melissa McCarthy. Too Gross is about uh, Ilana and Abby from Broad City. Too Slutty is Nicki Minaj. Too Old is Madonna. Uh, too Pregnant, Kim Kardashian. There's a chapter called Too Shrill about Hillary Clinton. 
uh, too queer, uh, Caitlyn Jenner, too loud, Jennifer Weiner, little publishing insider stuff there, and too naked, Lena Dunham. Uh, and Anne Helen Peterson notes from the upfront that like each of these women is not just one of these things, but this is the thing they made their name on. Melissa McCarthy is known for being, quote unquote, too fat. And the book really is about the place that each of these women has carved out in contemporary culture and been able to push back against the expectations and cultural norms of how women should look and how we should behave and what we should care about, um, how our bodies should be in the ways, like in the case of Lena Dunham, the way that we should cover up our body if it doesn't meet the typical standards of beauty and what's happened to Lena Dunham in light of rejecting that notion. And of course, the catch-22 is that these women have made names for themselves. Like, you know, Nicki Minaj has uh, become a, she's hugely successful and just incredibly talented. She gets written off for being too slutty or um, Hillary Clinton gets written off for being too shrill. But these things that they are too something of are also the ways that they have been able to distinguish themselves from everyone else, like stand out from the pack. And isn't it interesting that there can kind of only be one, you know, there can only be like one naked chubby girl on TV. There can only be one old pop star. Um, I'll say in the the whole book, I thought the Madonna chapter is the most interesting. These are all great. I was really happy. Like I'm very eclectic in my pop culture taste, and I was pleased that I'm familiar with all 10 of the women that Anne Helen Peterson writes about. You don't need to be. She does great background work. Like if you've never seen an episode of Broad City, you'll be able to understand what they're doing on that show from the way that she explains it. Don't skip around. Read every chapter of this book. It's really terrific. Um, But the Madonna chapter is so excellent because she breaks out that the things that have made Madonna so unique all along, that she was so just forward thinking that everything she did felt like it was coming from the future. Now that she is approaching 60 and she refuses to cover her body, she refuses to act the way that a 60 year old woman is supposed to act. You know, she's doing like very difficult yoga moves on stage and she's dating much younger men and she's still talking about sex. And these are all things that old women aren't supposed to do. But by being an older woman who's insisting on acting young, she's for the first time in her career playing into cultural expectations. And Peterson sort of writes about what it would look like for Madonna to, to at this stage in her life and her career, do something else that's revolutionary, to insist that it's actually okay to be almost 60 and maybe to look almost 60 or to to date someone your age um, or to not insist that youth is really the thing. And that was a nuance that I hadn't considered in that thinking. And the book is really filled with great little nuggets like that. Um, A look at these 10 women and what they represent about what we expect of women, how we reward women for busting out of those molds and punish them at the same time. Like the chapter on Serena Williams that opens the book, you know, talks about that she is celebrated, but also how difficult her life and her career have been made by the fact that she is so strong, that she doesn't, you know, look like your typical, like she's not like a thin blonde lady in a white tennis skirt. Uh, She lives in her body. She shows off her body. She's a black woman. And the book does a great job also with intersectional feminism and looking at, of course, it's not just that Serena Williams is strong. It's also that she's black. It's not just that Melissa McCarthy is fat. It's that she's a woman. Um, It's not just that Kim Kardashian had the audacity to get pregnant in a way that, you know, or to, to live in her pregnant body in a way that wasn't like graceful 
all the time. It's that she talked about it um, and sort of all the things that go on around this. I don't feel like I'm doing a very good job articulating all of the things that Anne Helen Peterson articulates in a, just a really wonderful way. This is a great, great book um, about pop culture and the ways that pop culture reflect really serious and interesting things that are going on in feminism and politics. So again, it's Too Fat, Too Slutty, Too Loud, The Rise and Reign of the Unruly Woman by Anne Helen Peterson. And speaking of bodies... <laughs> and things that might be unruly. Uh, our first sponsor this week is Third Love. We're always happy to have them back. When it comes to bra shopping, it's all about finding the right fit for you, not shoving your body into some preconceived notion of what should fit. And there's only one lingerie brand that offers bras in sizes AA through G and signature half cup sizes. And of course, that's Third Love. Third Love uses thousands of real women's measurements and super smoothing memory foam to create bras that fit better and they feel great. There is a perfect bra for everyone and you can find yours in just seconds by answering a few simple questions from Third Love's Fit Finder. Now you can try one of their best-selling bras free for 30 days. You just pay $2.99 for shipping and one of Third Love's signature 24-7 bras is on its way to you. Cut the tag off, see how easily a perfect fitting bra can fit into your life. You wash it, you wear it, you might even forget that it's on. If your Third Love bra isn't your new favorite, you can always return or exchange it for free. So go to thirdlove.com slash books now to find your perfect fitting bra and try it for 30 days. That's thirdlove.com slash books to try your new favorite bra for free. Thirdlove.com slash books. I was at the doctor's the other day and I told the doctor and the technicians about it. I was like, ladies, <laughs> have I, I got some insider information for you. It is one of those, like a good bra is a thing that you evangelize. Yeah. Because, like, I was at the doctor's office, and I was actually comfortable, mm -hmm. you know, for once, instead of just being there and, like, sitting there not being comfortable and everything else that's going on. So, you tell everybody. Yep. All right. What's next, lady? Speaking of telling everybody, <laughs> here's another book for you. It is The Sister's Chase by Sarah Healy. It's out from HMH. I love them. They are having such a good year. Like, they're... Like last year was a great year for them. Like, I never miss an HMH book. And this one is about sisters. <laughs> Big surprise. <laughs> um, there's teenage Mary. There is toddler Hannah. And they, the two sisters live in a seaside motel owned by their mother, Diane. And it's sort of a little rundown motel. Diane is a single mom. She's working really hard to make ends meet and keep the motel going. Mary is very rebellious and very unhappy about their situation. And she, you know, like I said, she has a little sister, Hannah, that she takes care of when her mother is working. And sadly, this is not a spoiler, Diane dies. There's a car accident and Diane dies. And Mary has just turned 18 and she learns that the motel is actually not worth anything. It's actually in debt and she doesn't want to keep it running. She doesn't want to stay there. So she takes Hannah and hits the road. She buys a car and with her mother's insurance money and goes on the road and decides, like, they're going to make a new life somewhere else. Um, and Mary is very brave and very smart, but, you know, she has great survival instincts, except that they don't always include legal means of acquiring money or doing things. Um, she has some shady dealings to, but she would do anything. Like you can, you can tell from the right away that, you know, she loves her little sister so much. There's this unbreakable bond between them and she would do anything to protect her and keep her happy. But 
you know, she goes from one town to another, getting jobs, you know, acquiring money, and then moves them along, you know, when people get attached or things get dicey. Um, but as Hannah gets older, you know, she wants stability. She wants to stay in a school where she can see her friends for, you know, longer than a few months. Um, and Mary wants to give Hannah that, but what she's learning is that, you, you know, you can't outrun your past and that there are some secrets that are just too big to keep. Um, so it's just this alternately heart-wrenching and heartwarming story about sisters. I was really rooting for them the whole time, like, they're, like on their journey. It was really great. Um, I don't have a sister, so when I picked it up, I was like, am I going to enjoy this? Because I don't have that, like, sisterly bond feeling. Um, I might have had a sister, but I think I ate her in the womb like a shark. So I was really like, I don't know if I'm going to just, oh, but it's so good. I enjoyed it so much. And again, it's called The Sister's Chase by Sarah Healy. All right. I have a segue. Yay! Alternately heart-wrenching and heartwarming is perfect for my next book. It's My Glory Was I Had Such Friends by Amy Silverstein. And I think I mentioned a few weeks ago that I was getting ready to read this. Um, this is a memoir. Silverstein, when she was in her mid-20s, uh, went into heart failure and had a heart transplant. And later, like 20 years later in her late 40s, the transplanted heart that was only supposed to keep her alive for like 10 years, but that she has just diligently taken care of and had a good healthy dose of luck as well has kept her alive for more than 20 years it is now starting to fail and she finds out she is going to have to go on the transplant list again um, moreover she and her husband in order to maximize her chances of a transplant have to leave their home in new york and go to cedar sinai in uh, california just like take up residence at the hospital for a couple of months waiting for her transplant to come through. Uh, in the meantime, her friends like who are encouraging her to do this and not like you have a choice, you know, all the way along. Do you want to continue pursuing treatment? She really wrestles with the decision of does she want to go through this transplant process again? She knows how difficult it's going to be in her life since the first transplant has not been easy. She's had a lot of health problems and a lot of ongoing heart problems. And she's really sitting with the question of like, do I want to go through this again? Because she's had all these years with her husband that she didn't expect to have. She's raised her son who has just gone off to college. Um, and as she decides that she's going to do it and they start wrestling with how, one of her girlfriends shows her a spreadsheet that she and eight other women who all are friends with Amy have made that documents who's going to go and be with her in California when. And there's not a day that's empty. Like her husband will be with her the whole time. One friend is going to go out there and be with them for most of the whole experience. And then the rest of the friends are going to go on rotation, basically. They're going to leave their own important jobs. They're going to leave their own families and their household responsibilities and driving the kids to soccer and all of those things and come take turns to sit with her in the hospital and be with her while she waits for her second heart transplant. And the book is about what happens when they do that. Um, what happens when the when these women spend time together in a way that they haven't spent time together before because you're waiting for the thing that will either save your life or that will fail and will end your life. And so they have these just very rich, open, honest conversations, some really difficult ones. Amy, you know, sometimes is not her best self uh, when she's stressed out and scared about what's going to happen to her. And her husband and her friends sort of take turns real talking her about, you know, 
what she needs to, what she might consider changing uh, in her behavior or her outlook for these people who are showing up for her and who love her so much. It's, it, man, it is incredible. It is a five alarm snot bomb. If ever there were one, I cried so many times. I cried every time my husband asked me like what the book was about or how it was going. And I started describing it to him. I got all choked up. Um, I've had to like steal myself to talk about it right now and not get really teary. It's just a beautiful testament to the power of friendship to what happens when we show up for each other. But also, you know, Amy Silverstein writes about like these women have been her friends for decades. It's not news to them how hard it can be for her when she's having a health problem. But most of them have not seen it happen in real time. Like they hear about it after the fact, after she's gone to the hospital, after her husband calls them um, and what it takes for her to let them in, in that way, to see her in these moments of real weakness and fear and vulnerability. And then what it does for her to see how they come through and how different each one of them is in the way that they show up for her and support her and what like the strengths are that they bring to the table and to their friendships. It's gorgeous. Um, it made me so like, I sent mushy messages to all of my girlfriends after reading this book. Um, it, it's very inspiring about how we think about the right things to do um, in showing up for people. Silverstein really pushes her friends to consider that there might be a point where the transplant is no longer viable and she might decide to turn off the pacemaker that she has. And she has these very honest conversations with them about how she's approaching thinking about allowing herself to die and what she needs from them um, to not push her to stay alive. She needs for them to consider her experience and her perspective instead of just their desire to continue having their friend alive. It's, it's man, it's really something. This is a great book. I don't know who you give this to. You better love them a lot and also give them a box of Kleenexes um, to go with it. But it's, it's really gorgeous. It made me take a lot of pause to think about um, the people, especially the women in my life that um, have shown up for me in hard moments and what it would be like to go through something like this. But the gift of getting to grow in those friendships alongside having a really difficult experience of waiting for a transplant. It's like the best possible silver lining. Um, and the book has a happy ending. So it's My Glory Was I Had Such Friends by Amy Silverstein. I'm going to stop before I start crying. Oh, man. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, it is really something. I have no segue. Yeah, there's not one. <laughs> the next book that I'm going to talk about was longlisted for the Theakston Old Peculiar Crime Novel of the Year. So it's about as far away from that. Is that a thing? I didn't. I don't know what it is. I just know that's what it says on the book. So it must be a thing. Um, but it's fantastic. So it's, and I should probably tell you what it's called. It is The Bird Watcher by William Shaw. It's a quiet, steady mystery. Like, in a world where, like, everyone's like, I need twists and turns and super thrillers all the time. This is just a nice, steady mystery. It's almost like a cozy, except that there's a lot of gore, so it doesn't quite fit that. But it's about a police sergeant named William South. He is this trusted figure in a sleepy town in the Kentish coast, and he just sort of leads a solitary life. He moved there when he was 13 um, with his mother, uh, they came from Ireland. Their dad was this brutish, awful figure, um, and he was murdered. And his mother decided she just wanted a new life and a new start, and so they moved to this new town. And he's just kind of always been on his own there. Um, he is a bird watcher. Another surprise. Um, 
And so he just hangs out doing police stuff and watching birds. And then one day, his neighbor and fellow bird watcher is found dead. He is just brutally murdered. It's just this horrible crime they think of rage. Um, he did, it just really shakes the town. That his neighbor hasn't seemed to have any enemies. Um, they, you know, they just kind of went out and watched birds, and he doesn't know much about them, he realizes, after all these years. Like, they didn't really talk much. They just talked about birds. Um, it looks like it might have been a robbery gone wrong, but there's a notorious drug dealer who lives in the town, and so a lot of unsavory characters come to visit, and there's a large transient population that comes through all the time, and there were some people seen near his house before the murder, so he doesn't... So um, Officer South isn't sure, like, what who is involved. Um, and then someone from his past shows up, someone from his life when he was in Ireland. Um, and it's worrying for him because he doesn't... He wants to solve the case of this murder, but he doesn't want to reveal his own past and where he came from. So he's he's walking this thin line and trying to keep everything together and not have them find out who he really is. Um, it's, it's, like I said, it's just very steady and there are no surprises and it's just it's just fantastic the writing is great um and i really enjoyed it again it's called the bird watcher by william shaw all right on to our next sponsor i'm so excited about this because i feel like i'm cheating because this was going to be one of my picks but then i saw that they were um a sponsor today so it's like i get to do an extra pick it's so nice when that happens yes so our next sponsor is the Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue by Mackenzie Lee. And it's so good. Oh my goodness. So good. So much fun. I'm going to read you the synopsis and you'll just want to buy it immediately. It's a, in this hilarious 18th century romp, bisexual Lord Henry Monte Montague's roguish passions are far from suitable for a gentleman. But as Monte embarks on his grand tour of Europe, his vice filled days are ending. His father expects him to take over the family's estate, and Monty is also nursing an impossible crush on his best friend, Percy. So Monty vows to make this trip one last hedonistic hurrah and flirt with Percy from Paris to Rome. But a reckless decision turns their journey into a harrowing manhunt and calls everything into question, including Monty's relationship with the boy he adores. It's so much fun. I cannot stress that enough, like how much fun this book is. And... It's so great, but, like, I, I wrote about it for the newsletter, and I was trying to find, like, a backlist bump, like, a suitable bump for it, and it's so hard. Like, we need more of these LGBTQ historical fiction novels. Like, so great. I needed, like, a comparison. I couldn't find anything. It's just full of pirates and robbers and steamy romance. It's like a 1700s version, you know, of a road trip. It's it's so much fun. And I get especially excited. I think Mackenzie Lee is a bookseller. So, like, when booksellers write books, I get especially excited to, to talk about them. And on this today, the 20th anniversary of Harry Potter, um, I can tell you that the audiobook is narrated by Christian Coulson, the actor who played Tom Riddle in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. So see how I tied that in? That was pretty cool. That was nicely done. Thank you. So you can... Learn more about it in the show notes. We'll have a link. And again, it's called The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue by Mackenzie Lee. And we thank Epic Reads for sponsoring. That's a perfect fit for this show, It's too. so much fun. I cannot say it enough. Like, so I'll stop. 
I have historical romance up next, so I will take that. My next pick is The Day of the Duchess by Sarah McLean. It's the third book in her Scandal and Scoundrel series. Um, And this one is a slightly different setup than what we see in a lot of Regency romances. It begins with the main character trying to get a divorce. Um, Serafina is the Duchess of Haven, and right before this book began, uh, she and her husband, Malcolm, who is the Duke of Haven, uh, because that's how dukes and duchesses work, uh, they had, they had gotten, they fell in love, they got married, and then something happened between them that drove her away. She's been gone for a couple of years. She went off to America. She helped um, work in a bar and was a singer, and she's just not doing the things that a proper lady is supposed to do. Um, but the book opens with her storming into Parliament, demanding a divorce, because in Regency England, you have to get permission from Parliament to get a divorce. And uh, typically, you have to prove that something nefarious has occurred. The husband cheating is not sufficient because they did that all the time in Regency England. Um, So she is willing to say that she was unfaithful in order to get this divorce to happen. But Malcolm, the Duke, is still in love with her and he does not want to go gently. So he makes a deal with her that if she will find a new wife for him, if she'll come to his estate and like check out the women that he has invited to be contenders for the position of being the Duchess, um, then he'll give her the divorce if she's able to, you know, set up his successor. But it's a setup the whole time. He just wants to have her at his manor for a couple of weeks and try to woo her back. And the book is that. Um, that's the courtship in this novel is the Duke trying to win the Duchess back, the Duchess wrestling with her feelings about what does she really want? Does she want her freedom? Does she still love him? Things were left, you know, there's not any closure about what happened between them before. So how are they going to make sense? of that. It's just as witty as all of Sarah McLean's books are. And this has extra bonus doses of uh, like some references to things that have happened in the culture in the last year or so. Like one of the characters says, like, nevertheless, I persisted, <laughs> um, which is just a great moment. Um, and I love that McLean's books are always guided by taking things that are happening in contemporary politics or contemporary culture and then using that lens to go back into Regency England. It's it's just so much fun trying to, you know, guess are they going to get back together? Are they going to get divorced? What's going to happen? Um, so again, it's Day of the Duchess by Sarah McLean. It's the third book in the Scandal and Scoundrel series. Uh, you don't need to have read the other ones in the series. You'll pick up some side jokes and some of the like peripheral characters will make more sense to you if you do, but you can read it as a standalone. And that's the beauty about most of the romance series as well, is that you can start with any of them and then skip around. So pick this one up. It's a lot of fun. That's a thing that I've recently learned, like doing Mm -hmm. like catalogs and stuff like that and like reading descriptions for the um, new release index is that most of the romance series, you they don't seem to have anything to do with the others, really, except that they take place like in the same town or at the same time. But a lot of them don't have the same characters. It doesn't seem to be a continuing story. Yeah, I think like sort of how the universes of comic books work is a good analogy for it. Like um, Julia Quinn has this Bridgerton series where each one is about a different one of the Bridgerton siblings and the person that they fall in love with and Mm -hmm. what that romance story looks like. And you can totally read them out of order. Like when you're done, you will have read romances about like 10 of the Bridgerton siblings um, and you'll have a full figured view of, you'll have a full view of what their world is like, but it doesn't really matter if you read 
the first one and the second and the third, or if you start with the fourth one and then you skip around, like in the end, you get the whole same picture, but you also don't need the whole picture necessarily. My sense is once you start a series that you like, you'll want to get the whole picture together. And I've done that, like unknowingly picked up the sixth book in a series and then been like, oh, okay, but it doesn't matter. They're not sequential really. Um, So I think that's very liberating about romance reading. I don't know if I could do it though. Like I always have to read things in order. Like I don't know if my brain would let me. Like on the very rare occasion that I've like discovered after I read a book that it was not the first in a series, like I want to open my skull and take it back out. Like I want to read them in order. Like I want to read the first one. I want to start over. Extract. Weird like that. So I'm going to tell you now about my last pick. It is, well, it's sort of a twofer because today is the release of the sequel of one of my favorite books of 2014. Today, Fateful Mornings by Tom Bowman comes out. It is the sequel to Dry Bones in the Valley, which I know I must have mentioned on this show before. It's one of my favorite books. Um, So I'm going to tell you a little bit about the first one. Uh, It came out in 2014. It won the LA Times Book Prize. It won the Edgar for Best First Novel. I just love, love, love this book. It's set in rural Pennsylvania, and there is Officer Henry Farrell. He is called to investigate a corpse in the woods behind an elderly resident's land. Um, The winter thaw has come, the snow has melted, and this body seems to have been buried under the snow for some time. Um, So he's looking into it. The land farther back from there is full of unsavory characters, which I think I've already said like three times today on the show. (laughs) Um, The like meth labs and some sketchy, sketchy things going on. So this is like a really quiet town. Um, Henry Farrell is the only officer in the town. Nothing exciting really ever goes on. Um, But then a second corpse turns up and now he has his hands full and more trying to figure out what's going on. And his investigation into it reveals that the town has a history of lawless residents who hold grudges forever. Um, So it's just, the mystery is really solid. It's very smart. And, but the best part I think is Henry himself. Like I really loved him. He's just this regular guy trying to do what's right. Um, He doesn't always make the best choices. He doesn't have a brain like Sherlock. He doesn't, you know, figure everything out right away. He's not a superhero. In fact, one of the things I love is that he gets his gun taken away from him, like, while he's trying to conduct an investigation, you know, like, he's just a regular guy. But, and he just gets the job done the best way he knows how. Like, he's great. Um, And Faithful Mornings, the sequel that is out today, is everything that I wanted, which is basically just more of the first book. Like, I just, I absolutely loved it. Um... In like the second one, you don't have to read it in order. Like you don't have to know anything about the first one, really. But if you were me, you couldn't read the second one first. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> they're just both so 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 good, and I'm so happy that the second one is finally here. If you like Wiley Cash or Archer Mayer, um, if you're not reading Archer Mayer, like I always say, his Joe Gunther series is the best mystery series you're not reading. Like he is so great. This is set in Vermont. They're really smart. Um, I just, I love these books. So again, it's Dry Bones in the Valley and Fateful Mornings by Tom Bowman. I am also kind of catching up because I didn't realize when my next pick came out that it was going to be the first in a series. So I didn't have any like better read this right now, but the second one is coming out soon. So I'm about halfway through Infomocracy by Malcolm Older. And the second book is called Null State, which is coming out, I think later this summer or maybe this fall. 
Uh, but it's coming out soon. I have needed like a good six months to recover from the election before I could read fiction about an election. And now is the time for me. Uh, so in Infomocracy, it's been a couple of decades since Information, capital I, which is a search engine company like like Google, I guess, but I think that actually how they do things is more similar to Amazon. Amanda and I were talking about this offline. Um, that doesn't matter anyway. A, a powerful search engine company that basically runs the world um, had like pioneered a switch from war war between nation states to micro democracies basically around the globe and there's this party that's a group of corporations that call themselves heritage they've won the last two election cycles there's a new election that's about to happen and the other party group thing is called the supermajority and they are contending to win it as well um, and then there are three main characters that you follow through the story there's um Ken who is part of the policy first party they're very idealistic and he is trying to like get a job in the like sort of big political operative world there's domain who is uh sort of an anti-election activist and is trying to position himself in the struggle against sort of the fight for democracy. And then there's uh, Mishima, who's a political operative for information. And for Mishima, the whole thing is like, how do you keep this democracy experiment going when there are so many people who have so much to gain from bringing it down? Um, So in a very big way, it's about corporations tied to politics, about basically election fixing um, some of it. I I don't know that there's going to be a time to read this when some of it won't hit too close to home, but that's the point of fiction like this is for it to hit you close to home. Um, Like if you went and read 1984 on the heels of what's been going on in in the U.S., Infomocracy is another good place to turn. Like it's not going to give you any comfort, uh, but it's an interesting thought experiment. And it's scary in the ways that this kind of book should be scary. Um, So like I've said, I'm a couple hundred pages into it. I'm not finished yet, but I am not concerned. Everyone loved this book and raved about it, and I've been loving it so far. Um, and as a side note, I we get emails occasionally, or I get like tweets about like, how come you talk about books that you haven't finished yet? Um, so the short answer to that is that I don't read as fast as Liberty is. So if I'm going to talk about four books, sometimes they're going to be things that are in progress. Um, and if you don't like that, that's okay with me, but that's how we're going to do things here. So that pick is Infomocracy by Malcolm Older. Uh, if you read it last year because you were faster than I was, then you can look forward to Null State, which is coming out later this year. September 19th. All right. I thanks for the up. Googling. Yeah, Good I job. Googled it. Also, I had that book on my shelf forever before I realized that she's DJ Older's sister. Like I had, I had yes. no clue. Yeah, that family is just bonkers talented. Mega talented. Also, their mom is on Twitter and it's super cute. She is. Yeah. I did not know that. It's I'm gonna have cute. to. So, there uh, all we right. Have well, it. those are those are our new books this week. What are you gonna go read next? Well, can I just tell you something first? Because it's kind of, of related, but not really. Um, I just discovered Nudie Branch. Do you know what that is? Excuse, no. <laughs> right? <laughs> I wish you could see the face I yeah. just made. Nudie Branch sounds like a word that like preschoolers would taunt each other with for some reason. But it's mm-hmm. actually a soft-bodied mollusk. It's like a it's like N-U-D-I branch. It's so like, <laughs> Where is this story going? Liberty? It's so much fun. Well, 
because it's made me think of it because I'm what I'm going to read next is called Spineless, <laughs> the Science of Jellyfish oh. and the Art of Growing a Backbone by Julie Burwald. So it made me think of the nudie branch. Like Jen and I were, were having like a little nudie branch laugh fest last week. Because you can't say it and not want to giggle, right? But now I'm going to read this book about jellyfish, which looks so awesome. And I'm hoping is like um, Preparing the Ghost. You've read that, I believe. Oh, I loved Preparing the Ghost. Yeah. So more like spineless, squishy sea things. Um, but not jellyfish is kind of a funny word, but it's nothing compared to nudie branch. Is all I'm going to say. <laughs> That was a tangent that was worth the ride. Yeah. It wasn't too much of one, I hope. No. Ah. I was like, what is what is this going to be? You're like, where's the mute button? <laughs> it's always worth finding out what's what's coming down the pipe. Totally PG. Um, yeah. <laughs> Nudie branch. See? Isn't it fun? How do how do you spell it? It's N-U-D-I branch. Okay. Yeah, they're so cool. They're like these sort of like sea slugs, but not really because there are other sea slugs that aren't related to them and they're coming on different colors. Um, so anyway, what are you going to read next? <laughs> <laughs> Say, this is a thing from our show that it is okay to Google. Don't be scared. Just yes. make sure you spell it correctly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am reading, I just started it this morning. So it's my next book, Days of Rain, which, uh, oh, now I don't have the author's name in front of me. Is it Rebecca Stott? S-T-O, it's someone Stott. Oh, yeah. S-T-O-T-T. Yeah. In the Days of, and, in the days of in Rain. In the Days yeah. of Rain. Um, and it is about the cult that she grew up in that her family had been involved in for generations and about getting out of the cult and cult life in general. I'm only like, I just, like I said, started this morning. So I'm only like 30 pages into it, but I love a story, a memoir about a fringe religious sect or a cult. And uh, so far her writing is really captivating. So I'm going to talk about that more next week. I'm excited to read it because I feel like every cult story I've read takes place in the U.S. or involves people from the U.S. So yeah, this, this one's one is in, the in UK. England. Yeah, so it's yeah, and it's a cult I hadn't heard of that has like fifty thousand members across the globe. Um, so I know I feel like after I finish it, my dive into the Google machine is going to be really satisfying. Yeah. Uh, so those are our new books this week. Thank you again to our sponsors, Talenti, Gelato and Sorbetto, to Third Love. Go to thirdlove.com slash books to start your free 30-day trial with one of their 24-7 bras and to the Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue. Yeah, yeah. We'll have a link to that in the show notes or you can find it wherever books are sold. If you want to drop us a line, you can do that at all the books at bookriot.com or talk to us on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty. If you're new to all the books, welcome. We hope that you will subscribe in Apple Podcasts. And if you have been listening for a while or you just love it so much from the first go that you've got to give us a little bonus, we would really appreciate a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today and chant nudie branch over and over and over again, <laughs> we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading. <laughs>